If you have your Bibles, go ahead and make your way to the book of Romans. Uh, We are going to continue our walk in the book, and we will be in Romans 5 this morning. Uh, Welcome to week 10 of the Romans series. Through the last nine weeks, Pastor Micah has been walking us through this book. Uh, Last week, he showed us how Abraham was saved by faith because he looked forward to the cross of Jesus. He has walked us through terms Paul uses like justification and redemption and propitiation and righteousness. This morning, uh, we're going to come to some really, really, really good news. Paul is going to walk the readers through what we have access to because of our faith in Christ. He's going to talk about the assurance of hope, the blessings of our justification. Paul has talked about justification for like four chapters now. Now Paul is going to talk about those who are justified by faith have an unshakable hope, knowing that they will be saved from God's wrath on the day of judgment. And that is because Christ died for the death we should have, and he clothed us with his righteousness. That is the gospel. That is why the gospel is such good news. We don't need the gospel just for salvation. We need the gospel each and every day of our lives. And I don't think we no longer cherish this truth as Christians. We have heard the gospel so much that we have become desensitized to it. But I'd ask each and every one of us here this morning to meditate on that truth. Christ did not just go to the cross for our salvation, but he did so so we could live a life that was glorifying and honoring to him. With Christ's death, we were given access to peace. We were given access to the Father. We were given access to a hope. And all because God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on Calvary. And at the end of this service, there's going to be a time uh, for you to respond to these wonderful, amazing truths. But these 11 verses are such wonderful news to those who put their faith in the Lord. Robert Smith Jr. once said, when faith is stripped to the bone, no marrow, no tendons, no muscles, no fat, no gristle, and all our props and crutches are gone, our faith in God, that he is good and he is on the throne, is the only thing that will keep you going. See, this faith in Jesus gives us everything we need in this life. We have access to so much if you call Jesus Lord and Savior. And we're going to walk through these 11 verses together, and we're going to look at Paul and see what he is telling us. Uh, We're going to go ahead and jump in it. If you're able and willing, I would ask that you stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to start in verse 1 and finish off in verse 11. Starts off saying, therefore. All right, anytime a sentence starts with therefore, we know the writer is circling back to what has already been talked about. Or as Pastor Micah says, we see therefore, we have to ask what it is there for. But since we have been justified by faith, that's what Paul's been talking about for four chapters, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God just shows his love for us in that while we were still yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just humbly come before you, Lord, asking you to reveal your truths, Lord. Lord, just show us your glory. Lord, may our hearts and minds be focused on you and your truths and nothing else. May you be glorified. May you be honored. We love you, Jesus, and we need you. Amen. All right, there is, you may be seated, there's a whole bunch of information in these 11 verses. To give you an idea on how much information is in these 11 verses, Charles Spurgeon did 10 different sermons on six different verses in these 11 verses. So I'm going to do my best to give kind of an overarching truth of these verses, but bear with me. If I miss anything, I do apologize. So let us in our time together unpack what Paul tells us, what we have access to because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Our first point this morning, through faith in Christ, we have access to peace. Now the peace with God he refers to here is not a subjective feeling that floods out with serene feelings of calm. It's an objective reality Christ's death has created for us. We know feelings come and go. I deal with teenagers for a living. I know this to be true. All right? There is a time and place for feelings, but the reality of our standings with God is what is important here. The peace of the Bible is speaking of is really just two different things. The first thing is it is a state of peace. In our natural condition, we are enemies of God. We see that in verse 10. While we were still enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now imagine that with me for a second. I could die for some people. I would die for Blair. I'd die for Judah. Some of my family? Maybe. All right. I think I could die for a group of good people. I imagine a lot of you here could agree with these sentiments. But what about an enemy? Someone at work you don't like, Dean? Can you, would you do that? How about someone much worse, a murderer? What about bin Laden? Hitler? I don't think anyone is lining up to die for those people. If you look on social media, whoever doesn't hold the same views as someone is Hitler, apparently. So I'm guessing most people wouldn't die for someone with a different view on life. Now imagine you sending your child to die for that person. That is exactly what God did. Christ died for us while we were still his enemy. We are enemies of God because we are sinful individuals. We are black-hearted, wretched sinners, and we are dealing with a holy God. The question always asked is why does the Bible only allow one way for salvation? When the real question should be how can there be any way at all to be in a relationship with a holy God? See, that is the question the Bible answers, and it finds its answer in Jesus. Now understand, since the fall of man, there has been a divide between us, the rebellious creature, and our righteous creator. And we are rebellious. We defy his commands. We resist his Holy Spirit. We reject his love as it was shown on the cross by the death of Jesus. And we would live and we would die in this position of hostility if not for God's amazing grace. Before we can enjoy peace within our hearts, there must be a state of peace established between us 
and God. And let me briefly explain how you can come to possess that peace with God. Well, first off, you must submit to the Lord. We must believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And there is mercy for a sinner, but there is no mercy for a man who will not own up to being a sinner. No one can get through life thinking, oh, if I just clean a few things up in my life, I'll be good to go and God will accept me as I am. This isn't a fake it till you make it kind of scenario, folks. No, 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 Scooter. This ain't how it works. We aren't just people in need of some life coach, all right, telling us how to be the best version we can be. We need a Savior. That should have got a few more amens, but that's all right. Y'all do y'all. 1 John 1.8 says, if you say we have no sin, we would deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Do not kid yourself. We are all sinners. And there cannot be a relationship between a person and God while we are still under this belief. When Charles Spurgeon was wrestling with salvation unto the Lord, when he would pray, the only sentence he could utter was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And there is great mercy for those who come to Christ Jesus. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. And to be in right relationship with God means you can stand on that promise and all the promises of God. And that is your state of peace because you have come to Jesus and you are no longer under the wrath of God. When Jesus stood in our place, understand we did not put him there. Nor did he put himself there. It was the act and deed of God the Father that did that. Is it not written, the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. It was God's love for us that put his son on the cross. <laughs> We are all guilty in our sin, but we have been cleared through the precious blood of Jesus. Through his realization, we have cause to be fully at peace with God because we are justified by faith. See, faith brings us into a state of peace, but afterwards, faith gives us a sense of peace. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is on the second slide. Since our peace is followed by the state of peace... We do not get peace before we are justified, and peace does not bring justification. We must first be justified. In verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God is the one who justifies the ungodly. We have no peace till that is done. Once we are in a relationship with God, we can have that sense of peace no matter our circumstances. Let me ask you this morning, do you feel at peace? See, when sorrow and suffering come into our lives, if you are in right relationship with the Lord, we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Non-believers will look at you and question everything they believe. I've actually seen this with my own eyes. We were just able to celebrate five years since Blair's cancer diagnosis. Amen. Praise the Lord. I remember when Blair was going through cancer treatment, and it was a scary, scary, scary time. When she, would when she was diagnosed, we were actually still newlyweds. We just found out she was pregnant a month prior. Um, she ends up going through a surgery. She has chemotherapy treatments. Her mom is over every day taking care of her. My parents are over a bunch taking care of her. Um, her mom actually retired to take care of her. Um, I'm working seven days a week so we could buy a house and not move in with her parents because that wasn't happening. All right. But through it all, we're drawing closer and closer to God. And you skip ahead to September of that year. And at this point, Blair's finally home from like 30 days of hospital bed rest. 
Judah is still in the NICU. He was born uh, nine or ten weeks early, something like that. We're closed on a, on a house. I'm working my teaching job. I'm doing what I can at the house. Her parents are over every day working on the house. My parents are over working on the house. Our families are working on it. Everyone is pitching in to get ready for when Judah can come home. And we are at the hospital every day to see this tiny little burrito. And we finally get to bring him home. And on the same day that we bring him home, out of the blue, I get this message on Facebook from a guy I know. And I don't really speak to him, but I know he's not a believer. And he says, you know, and this is a direct quote, you know, I've had my doubts in believing, but honestly, after seeing everything you and your wife have gone through in order to bring this amazing little man into this world, it really has me questioning my beliefs. My wife, my family, my friends all have told me I need to have a faith. Seeing what you and your wife has gone through has definitely given me a faith in Jesus. Congrats on the little one being able to go home. Just, to get, just say goodbye to some sleep. Man, we were just walking through a difficult situation. And I am well aware not everyone has a story that ends up with a happy ending. Sometimes healing is being with the Lord. But not once did I ever expect our situation to bring anyone to God. But through a hard and difficult situation, God used this to bring glory unto himself. And I think that's why James can tell us to consider it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. Because no matter the situation or the circumstance, we can give God the glory. And that is why Paul can tell the church in Philippi, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, Jesus, who strengthens me. Our circumstances do not get to dictate anything about us, only Jesus. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And as Christians, that is our goal, for us to decrease so he can increase. And all the while, we consider it all joy. Tim Keller said it like this. Your belief in the gospel is measured by your ability to have joy in suffering. There is peace in Christ. Do you walk in that peace, though? Let me ask you this. When you walk through your doors at home, does peace walk with it? Or does anger walk with it? Or disappointment? Or tiredness? Or resentment? Are you holding on to the promises of God? Or are you clinging to the problems of this world? You are not your circumstances. But if you call Jesus Lord and Savior, you are a child of God. And there is rest found in Jesus for the child of God. In Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for my souls. Nazi concentration camp survivor Corey Ten Boone put it like this. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. And if you look to God, you'll be at rest. The world fell apart in 2020, did it not? A lot of people struggled. 40% of people struggled with mental health or substance abuse. Suicide was the second leading cause of death for the ages of 10 to 34. And it was the 10th leading cause of death overall. The most common treatment was for anxiety. 18.1% of the population was treated for anxiety. That is 40 million people. And let me just say this about this statistic. If you are dealing with anxiety, you should get that treated. There is nothing wrong with needing medical intervention. I know at some point some dumb Christian said, you just aren't praying enough or pray for God's peace, and that's why you have anxiety. You need to pray to God for healing. Power through it. That's terrible advice. All right, God did provide healing. 
He gave a doctor the intelligence and the gift to create a medicine that can fix it. See, that's like the story of the guy who's uh, in the ocean, right? And he's praying for God to save him. He's praying for a miracle. And a man drives up on a boat and throws him a life preserver, and the guy throws it back and said he was waiting on, on a miracle. Then a Coast Guard helicopter came over and threw down a ladder for him to climb, and he said he was waiting for God for a miracle. The man then goes on to drown, and when he gets to heaven, he asks God, why, why didn't you answer my prayer for a miracle? And God looks at him and says, I gave you a boat and a helicopter. What more did you want? <laughs> now, while that is just a joke, that's really what it's like. Now, I understand that's just my opinion on it, and if you think I'm wrong, well, you're allowed to have your wrong opinion. Okay, but... But getting back to my point at hand, it was a hard year for a lot of people in 2020. But no one will be able to experience true peace with God except through Jesus. There is no peace without Jesus. I love the words of Charles Spurgeon here. He said, there cannot be any point of contact between the absolute deity of fallen humanity except through Jesus Christ, the appointed mediator. That is God's door. All else is a wall of fire. You cannot approach Christ without it or excuse me you cannot approach God without Christ he is the sole bridge across the gulf see there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man and that is the man Christ Jesus and this brings me to my second point through our faith in Christ we have access to the father because Christ is our mediator we can now go to the father we have an access to God that people in the old testament did not have they had to have a priest that would go into a temple on their behalf. And they would make atonement for the people's sins by killing bulls and sheep and goats and all that good stuff. But even they could not go into the holies of holies, which was covered by a veil. Only the high priest could go into the holies of holies, and he could only go into the holy of holies once a year. But when Christ died for us, the veil was torn from top to bottom, and we, who are followers of Christ have direct access to God because of what Jesus did for each and every one of us. I mean, how great is that? That means we can go, we don't have to go to a priest to be in a right relationship with God. We can talk directly with our Father. And we can call him Father because we are sons and daughters of God. And like a good father, he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be with us. He first loved us. Parents, while our kids were still wrapped up like Little baby burritos. We loved them, right? They couldn't do anything productive. They just ate, pooped, napped, cried, and repeated. All right? They could do nothing for us. And as parents, we had to take complete care of these children. And some of y'all might say, well, they look like us. Babies don't look like anybody. Babies look like a potato. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But I know with Judah, I did want to be around him. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to interact with him, not because of anything he did or could do for me, but because he's mine and I love him. I'd do anything for him. In a much greater way, that is how God looks at us. That is why, while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us, because he first loved us. As sons and daughters, we get, we get to have an access to him that other people do not get. I've talked about this with the youth before, but Judah has a level of access to me that other people do not get. I can come home, get on the couch, and Judah can jump right on me and start rubbing on my belly, and I'm not going to do anything to him. If Pastor Micah were to do that, I would throw him off of me and probably throw something at him. I'm not exactly sure 
Lord willing, I never have to find out. But because Judah is my son, he can come right up to me and not have to wait on anyone or anything. And that is an important biblical truth. We have access to the Father because of Jesus. We are now children of God. We can go right to him and just talk to him. Now let me ask you, are you utilizing this amazing access? J.I. Packer, and this is going to be on the screen for you, J.I. Packer says that you can tell how much someone really understands Christianity by finding out how much they think about and cherish the thought of being God's children. He says, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. A.W. Tozer put it this way, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. So ask yourself this question. When you go to the Father in prayer, how do you feel? Do you feel like he generally disapproves of you? Like you need to negotiate with him? Or maybe that he's really just not listening to you? Or that he is not really concerned about you? Like, do you realize there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that can make God love you any less or any more than he does right now? Even on my best day, I still need God as much as I do on my worst day. Even on your best day, you still need God as much as you do on your worst day. Even on the days, like, I think I'm killing it. Like, I wake up, and I'm praying, and I'm in Scripture. I'm praying before meals. I'm telling the youth all kind of truths about Jesus. Christ is still up there just looking at me going, bless his little heart. That kid should be wearing a helmet. And then on my worst day, I wake up like a bear. I'm grouchy. Before I'm even out of the bed, I'm sinning. God isn't up there going, what in the name of me is he doing? He already knows what we're doing. He knows everything about everything about everything. And I find great comfort in that. That is a peace the world will not know apart from Jesus. We have the hope of the world. And that is my third truth. We, through faith in Christ, we have access to hope. Before I jump into this truth, let me point out uh, just one thing to you. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 uh, together. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God, the Father's love, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice the blessed Trinity there. Three in one. It takes the Trinity to make a disciple. It takes the Trinity to complete a disciple. And it takes the Trinity to create in a disciple the hope of glory. We have divine love that the Father gave out to us, which was made manifest in the death of Jesus and poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. And there are three things I want us to realize about this hope. The first is the confidence of our hope. We are not ashamed of our hope. In in Romans 1.16, Paul started out this letter by saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes to the Jew first, and to the Greek also. Ask a person who denies scripture what is their hope for the future. And their answer is probably going to be, it'll be the end of me. I will no longer exist, I guess. If I had such a wretched hope as that, I would not tell the world about it. An agnostic doesn't know anything, so therefore I guess he hopes nothing. If I had no more hope than that, I would be ashamed. But we, disciples of Jesus, are not ashamed of our hope. We believe to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. Our Paul simply puts it this way, to live as Christ, to die as gain. We are not ashamed of our hope, and our hope is this, that our Lord will come a second time. 
We believe that if we die before that time, we will die in Jesus and we will be blessed with him. Today, I will see you in paradise is not just for the thief on the cross, but for all of us who have put our trust in our crucified Savior. Our hope is filled in that promise. Because I live, you also will live. Our life is to be a life of sanctification, the life of God in our spirits forever and ever and ever. We are not ashamed of this hope, but we press forward to attaining it. So we have a hope we are not ashamed of. And we are confident in this hope. But what is the reason for this confidence? Confidence is this. I trust that Jesus is the only legitimate source of hope. I'm confident of this hope because of the love of God. I trust not in my love of God, but God's love to me. We trust him because he loves us. We are sure that he will fulfill our hope because he is too loving to fail us. It is from the love of God that all our hopes begin, and it is upon the love of God that all our hopes depend. Amen. If it were not for the Father's love, there would never have been a covenant of grace. If it were not for his infinite love, no atoning sacrifice would have been provided. If it were not for his active love, no Holy Spirit would have renewed us. And if it was not for his unchanging love, all that is good in us would soon pass away. If God's love could be suspended for just a moment, if it were to stop for just an instant, where would you be? See, we fall back upon the love of God as the reason for our hope in him. His love for us is our reason for the confidence of hope. And this confidence brings a result. And that result is an inward joy. Again, I think this is why James can tell us to consider it all joy. The person that knows that his hope of glory will never fail him because of the great love of God, that person will have an unspeakable joy in their lives. Does that mean they will always be happy and problems are not going to arise? Of course not. This is a different joy. This is a godly joy. But in our troubles, in our afflictions, in our heartache, understand that God is doing nothing to us which we should not want to for ourselves if we were as wise and loving as he is. There's a reason the Bible says his ways are greater than our ways. You know, 203 times the Bible mentions joy in some capacity. When the wise men saw the star that led them to Christ, they were filled with joy. When Mary Magdalene and that other Mary went to the empty tomb and the angel told them Jesus was not here, but he was risen, they were filled with fear and great joy. In Acts 13, the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us in 1 Peter, though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. John tells us in 1 John, we are writing these things so you uh, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. When we put our hope in Jesus, joy comes with it. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And this isn't a fruit salad. You don't get to pick and choose which one you want. You either have them all or you don't have any of them. The result of our hope is great joy. Because of our faith in Christ Jesus, we have access to peace, access to God the Father, and access to hope. And the only reason we have access to all of these things is because God first loved us. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God went first because God is first. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, according to Colossians 1.17. 
it is really good news that God did not wait for us to get our act together to send Jesus to come to redeem us of our sin. How many of y'all know that before any of y'all even came to like church twice in a row, before you went on a mission trip, before you even gave an offering, before you even prayed a prayer, before you ever did anything good at all, God already demonstrated his love for you by this. Amen, Amen indeed. He isn't looking at you going, all right, once you get your act together, once you quit cussing so much, once you quit drinking so much, if you would just get involved in church and not just be a pew sitter, then I would love you. No, 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 no. That would go against the very character and nature of who God is, and God cannot go against his character and nature. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because God first loved us. It is inconceivable that if you could encounter the power of that love and grace and not be filled with love yourself, King David said in the Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast, never-changing love for those who know him. Amen. Think about that. As high as the heavens are above the earth. How do you even measure that? I mean, to the edge of our galaxy, the Milky Way, traveling at the speed of light would take 100,000 years. And astronomers believe that there are close to 80 billion galaxies in the universe which amount to about 10 per person, most of which are bigger than our Milky Way. This is the analogy that God chooses to measure his love for us? Does not that blow your mind? In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, the chapter ends this way. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I have often wondered and pondered on that realization. Those are three very important things. We have talked about all three of them in our time together this morning. Faith, hope, and love. Faith in the Lord gives us hope because God loves us and sent his son to die for us. But, what, but why is the greatest of these love? John MacArthur thinks it's because love is one of the terms Paul uses to speak of the holy life enabled by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Love is a characteristic of a mature believer. I think it's more, more than that. Why is love the greatest? Well, while we need faith, God has never been called faith. While we need hope, God has never been called hope. The Bible does say God is love, though. Not that he is loving, but that he is love manifest. It was love that did not condemn all people to hell. It was love that put Christ on the cross. It was love that God gave us a way to be in relationship with him. That is why it is the greatest, because it is God. And in 1 John 4, 21, right after 419, it says, I love God. Oh, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you say, I love God and hate your brother, you are a liar. That's the Bible. Because you cannot love what you have seen, you cannot love what you haven't. We know that we know God because we love others. So let me ask you this. How much do you love other people? How much do you sacrifice for other people? 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does love abide? How does God's love abide in him? Where would you be if Jesus used his resources the way you are using his? What is your giving like? In regards to entire life, is it to love and serve others, or is it to promote yourself? How quickly do you forgive? Do you place more value on nursing your own wounds or seeing someone come to good and restored to God? 
Who have you told about Jesus recently? We give a lot of bad excuses for our lack of evangelism, do we not? People love to say, I don't know how to. First off, how hard is it? If you had been rescued from a burning building, it would not be that hard to explain. And the second thing is, well, then why don't you figure it out? All the other things we figure out, you can figure that out. You can figure out how to work the satellite dish that has 1,000 million channels on it. You can figure out how to talk to people about Jesus. See, the real reason is we don't share Christ as we value our convenience more than their conversion. Mm. Hit them again. The sign that we are filled with God is that we love, like God loves, and that reveals itself in how we give, how we self-sacrifice, and give to others, like Jesus did for us. Now, that might send some of you in despair, and you say, do I love enough? How do I know if I love enough? Well, the answer is no. No, you don't. Which is why the basis of your salvation is not how much you love, but on what Christ accomplished. But as you believe that, you see this beginning in you. You see love growing in you. The closer you draw to God, the closer he will draw to you. When you are hit by a Mack truck that is the love of God, everything about you will change. And on the screen, there's going to be a quote by Richard Baxter. He's a Puritan. And he says it this way. Is it a small thing in your eyes to be loved by God? To be the son, the spouse, the beloved, the delight of the king of glory. Christian, believe this and think about it. You will be eternally embraced in the arms of the love which was from everlasting and will extend to everlasting. Of the love which brought the sons of God's love from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, and the cross to the grave, from the grave to glory. That love which was weary, hungry, tempted, scorned, scourged, beaten, spat upon, crucified, pierced. Love which fasted, prayed, taught, healed, wept, sweated, bled, died. That love will eternally embrace you. Again, the gospel is not just for the new believer, but for every believer from everlasting to everlasting so i would just ask you as a follower of christ how are you doing with this how are you doing with this i want to go ahead and ask the praise team to join me on the stage because you were justified by faith in jesus you have access to so much you have an access to the peace of god and eternal hope and to the father all because he first loved us. I told you at the beginning of the sermon we were going to have a time to respond. And I want you to go ahead and with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to examine your heart in light of what God has given you access to. Are you utilizing it? Do you have peace in your life? Do you go to the Father in prayer? Are you growing in Jesus? I would ask every person to examine their heart with this bottom line question. How is your love relationship with God right now? First, do you have a genuine relationship with God? Not, do you go to church? Do you do good things? All kinds of people go to church and do good things. Do you have a real love relationship with God? If your heart does not resound with a yes to that question, then I invite you today to enter in that kind of relationship with the God of the universe. If you do, then what might need to happen in your life for that love relationship with God to grow and deepen and flourish more and more and more? 
Again, not in such a way that you're thinking of how you need to earn more love from God. No, he is love. But how do you do this in response to his love? What might he be calling you to do to trust his love more, to obey and delight in his commands more, to show his love to others more? We have access to so much because of God's love. And my last question before we go to the Lord in prayer. Is there anyone in here who would say this morning for the first time, I get it. I get it. I get what it means to trust in Jesus and surrender to him. And for the first time, I am surrendering and I am believing. If that's you this morning, we have people at the front waiting. The altar is open or you can grab me after the service. I would love to pray with you. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Oh God, we praise you for you are love. You are perfect love and we worship you. We thank you for your love for us. God, I pray that today your spirit might open hearts to receive a love that none of us could ever deserve. I pray that you would bring people to you for the first time. God, please may it be so. And then, oh God, for all of your children, for your brothers, for our brothers and sisters, and for your sons and daughters who have trusted in your love, I pray that you would draw them deeper into you and that peace would enter into their lives no matter their situation. Help us to be a people who experience the height and depth and breadth of wonder of a love relationship with you each and every day, Lord. More and more and more and more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand as we worship. I need you and I need you soften my heart break me apart and I need you to pierce through the dark cleanse every part of me all I am
Can we sing that again? Give me faith. In this next part, I may be weak. Now may be weak, but your spirit is strong in me. My flesh may fail, my God, you never will. But your spirit is strong in me. My flesh may fail, my God, you never will. Sing it again. Sing one more time. Give me faith, trust. this morning. Uh, before we leave, we're going to do our verse of the week. Say it. With me. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 
one. Uh, the ushers will be at the exits for your tithes and offerings, your first and best. Uh, you are dismissed. Have a good day.